Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And we are back. You are all listening to the Verbal Outpost. And it's been a very interesting conversation. Quite a contra- well, not controversial, but we've had a little bit of a debate in the studio here. Um, actually, not so much a debate, just a good, friendly conversation. Um, but differing views. Um, and that's very important to understand a certain subject from different perspectives so it's very important to do that so what we've been talking about so far actually is we've tried to be a little bit more realistic and we're just talking about the perception that we have and that all of us form judgments on people it's just it it, it is a reality Okay, it's a fact of life that we all form some form of a judgment, whether it's a good judgment, a negative judgment, whatever it is, we do form judgments on people, on scenarios, on certain things, right? So we've been talking about well, actually what would our judgment be on, um, so the bit of research by Ipsos Murray, actually we talked about people that would be Muslim in belief, but not necessarily in identity or any actions. And we talked about actually there's a number of other factors, things like personality, cultural upbringing, um, could even be the food that we eat, right? Honestly, food can be a good binding factor between people. Um, So it can be anything uh, that binds us together. But then actually we dialed it up a notch and we talked about the example of people who identify as Muslim but actually are involved in quite significant sins it's according to our beliefs but also you know quite severe illegal actions as well things that are actually quite deplorable and the example we used was drug dealers (laughs) and actually we could extend that to people uh yeah that could extend to yeah, a serial killer as an example, or it could be um, somebody or people or groups of people involved in exploiting vulnerable young people, right? So it could extend to that. Unfortunately, there's good and bad in every community. Unfortunately, within Muslims as well, there is a certain segment of the Muslim community that is involved in quite bad things. So we've just been talking about our perception towards them. Again, we're not forming any, um, we're not talking about action and to a large extent, it's quite a theoretical discussion. And this is just more about perception and how we perceive things. Again, we form judgments and perceptions on things around us all the time on people around us. So we're just trying to keep the conversation grounded in a little bit of reality. And just to be clear as well, in previous weeks, we've talked about um, just being much more compassionate, much more considerate towards uh, people who may be struggling with their deen or, you know, just people with good akhlaq that may not be Muslim. We've talked about ex-Muslims and we've talked about um, just being much more lenient and considerate and being able to empathize with them better. Right. So that's where we ended the conversation. We'll pick it up from that point again. And 
we'll continue talking about that. And it's a real shame because at the beginning, I did mention we'd try and talk about cancel culture. Um, that's probably going to be out of the question uh, for this show, but hopefully, inshallah, we'll cover it in a future show. Um, so let's just bring it back in then, right? Drug dealers. If we focus on that particular topic, and you know what, that can be extended to anything. It can be extended to a uh, again, you know, somebody exploiting vulnerable young people. That could be somebody um, murdering. It could include, you know, somebody who has you know, raped people. So it can extend into a number of major sins and things that are illegal. So right. Back to the drug dealer in terms of the advice. So Shafiq, here's a question for you then, because you're talking about actually we need to consider people's circumstances. So if I was to ask you a question, what happens if it was one of your siblings that had, you know, God forbid, may Allah protect them, but you know, God forbid if they had become addicted to drugs and they are getting their drugs um, from the local drug dealer who you know, lives a few roads down from you and you see him around or, or, or her around. Um, so, you know, what happens if it was your brother or sister who had been on the receiving end? How, w w would you be just as lenient or would you still make excuses for them? I mean, I'd still make excuses for them. It, it doesn't um, take take away from that but i mean as i would now um whether my any siblings of mine were involved or not if a particular crime is you know happening within the community you contact the authorities wouldn't you naturally that's what you should do you know because potentially it is it is causing harm to you know people I, um people i live with and my neighbors you know if you see as you mentioned drug dealers on the corner of the streets you know, selling drugs to people, you should, naturally, you should feel compelled to call the police and let them know that look, this is happening. I think people who sit on sort of the sidelines and just let it happen, it's, they're not really helping the situation either. I mean, ideally, if there was a way of doing it without calling the authority with the police, let's say there was someone else that was in a better place to be able to help um, drug dealers or, I mean, anyone that's committing a particular type of crime, Ideally, you'd contact them, but I mean, me personally, I don't know anyone um, who sort of deals with people who are drug dealers and whatnot, who could advise them and help them and whatnot. But either way, like I said you'd contact the authorities, wouldn't you? Does that slightly, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but does, does that slightly contradict with what you said earlier? Because we're talking about accountability and I completely understand that people may have may have something that explains their behavior but not necessarily justifies their behavior so they could have had a bad upbringing but you know there are many people that have had a bad upbringing and that hasn't impacted them and actually they've gone on to do some very good things and benefit a lot of people so by you calling the authorities doesn't that slightly contradict or you saying that actually that they should be accountable oh no both islamically and in the eyes of the law no, there's going to be accountability regardless. It's about 
how harsh that accountability is calling the authorities because a crime is happening i don't think there's anything wrong i don't see that's no different to if someone um tries to burgle your house you call the authority someone's tried to burgle my house you know there's, there's something happening within your community that's causing harm to people you would call, contact the authorities i don't feel that's harsh i feel that that's the appropriate response now as to um the issue if you're saying that it sounds like i'm contradicting myself that that was more earlier where we were discussing about whether that particular person should they have a janaza be done on them and i would take issue with that because i would say that particular person yeah he's sinful he's committing a sin but you know if that person still identifies as muslim i'd say that's different that's different to you know um doing the appropriate action for a crime that they're committing does that make sense it kind of does but it on the one hand you'd call the authorities and you'd hold that person to account according to um sort of the legal system here but yeah. then islamically I, I and and again just to make absolutely clear the janaza thing um none of us are necessarily agreeing with that we're not disagreeing with it we're, um, we're not taking a position to that it was just something that i used as an example of where um an imam has mentioned that actually we should not pray janaza over drug dealers so i'm just saying on the one hand um you would hold them to account on that side but then islamically um you'd be a little bit more relaxed well islamically i don't i don't think we have a system in place to hold that person accountable so if you think the best the system we have is the local imam decides what happens to that muslim person that's fine that can be your opinion but my opinion isn't the local imam can make that decision you know, I mean, we don't live in a country that's run by Sharia, you know, so we don't have a person in place that can say, you know, what should happen to a person that's committing a crime. So you go by the law of the land here. I think the important, uh, and I suppose what we're doing at the moment, um, speaking up about some of these topics is our way of, I suppose, addressing it within the community, right? Yeah, it is. discussing it here yeah. and, and, and talking about how abhor abhorrent it is. And actually, I've, I've just remembered um, there's a famous quote by Martin Luther King where he says that all it takes for evil to prevail is for good people to sit and do nothing. That's a really good quote. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's quite telling. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, there is a level of accountability. Rahil, anything you want to add on to that? Um, no, I think Shaf, in the sense of uh, bringing accountability to it, you, I don't think there's any issues with what you said. Uh, that's totally agreeable. Um, I think the only point that we differed upon is what we were discussing earlier about does this person uh, understand what they're doing, um, it, and where are where would they place themselves on that that chart that we kind of discussed earlier? You know, minus hundred, zero, up to a hundred. Um, because you could even argue from one point of view that perhaps these people, yes, they say they're Muslim, but how much do they actually understand about what that means for them as a person 
Um, and again, we talked about that in a previous show where people might leave Islam, but were they Muslim to begin with? How much did they actually understand? Because I, I, Hamza, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the statistics you, you mentioned was that they didn't understand or didn't have any affinity or understanding towards the religion, so they just denounced it effectively. Um, was that according to the research, sorry? I, th I think there was one of the stats there. Um, I can't remember the exact term that was used in that stat, but it did mention something along the lines of, I just had no understanding. I didn't understand it. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, it, it, it was some research from the US. So th yeah, so that that's was the one, yeah, yeah. That was specific to the US. So it was looking at, um, it, it was by Pew Research, um, that were looking at people that left Islam and the reasons for it. So mm. there was, I don't have the numbers with me at the moment, but there was quite, there was a significant number that just either didn't fully understand it, were never really into it. Um, and just kind of, yeah, yeah, that was it. Just never really, mm. they didn't know enough about it. So, I mean, there is that again, we've been, I, I've been saying for the past few weeks that we are not a monolith. That we vary significantly from on every type of axes. Um, and being Muslim is just one of many, many different components that forms us. Um, probably quite a significant component, but yeah, you know, there's lots of other traits to us. Um, and yeah, there, there, there are a lot of people that are Muslim that may not be as religious or as practicing and yeah, that's what all the research points towards um, and people that leave I mean you'd have to question actually how how much did they really know it's a little bit sad in the first instance where they've left but have they really left have they really left um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Mm. Okay, okay. And, and actually, what's interesting is I've 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 seen um, when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I went down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole. I was watching some of these videos, some 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 of these debates between ex-Muslims and Muslims. And uh, one thing, one thing that became quite apparent was many, I'm not saying all, but many of the ex-Muslims would not know very basic things like the Shahada. So that just further reiterates your point, Rahil, that how much did they really know and how informed were they um, about Islam? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's something that only that person can really answer about did they actually understand Islam to begin with? Um, I mean, for all we know, a group of these people that we're, we're discussing today, the reason they might be doing these things is because they don't realise it's, you know, unethical or un-Islamic to do so, and that's just the culture and lifestyle they've been brought up in. Again, I don't believe that necessarily excuses them from, you know, bringing um, harm and corruption to society, but it could be a potential cause as well. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, how about we have a look at the other 
Rahu, I really like your scale that you've sort of drawn up in my mind. Uh, minus <laughs> minus one hundred and a hundred. I don't think anybody would be at a hundred, but no, no, no. Um, if 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 we say around sort of um, what what seventy tops, I'm probably quite. <laughs> I think all of us are probably a way off from that as well. <laughs> um, may I accept it from us? Whatever the little that oh. we do do. Um, but he, here's an interesting one for. And we've talked about this a lot as well. I think that's the nice thing about this is that actually we, we follow on a lot from previous conversations, but we talked about our personal journey and how we started to become a little bit more religious and we started practicing our religion a little bit better. But can it be quite confusing? Because one thing I keep on coming back to is that the Muslim community is not a monolith. We are not a monolith. There's not one type of mosque. And yeah, there's even jokes that you know if you um, if you go into if you put three Muslims in a room, you'll get five different opinions. So you know, there's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we are not a monolith. So what about when you started becoming a little bit more religious? Did you find it a bit confusing? So I mean, looking at the other side now. Okay, so we've talked about the minus 100, we've talked about drug dealers, we've talked about people um, sort of in the middle that may have a Muslim name, but don't particularly, and, and, and you know, we'll say that I'm Muslim, but may not adhere to any of the, um, the halal and the haram, may not necessarily mm. adhere to that, do not partake in any of the religious festivals. So what about that other side now? about those people that become a little bit more religious um did do you were you confused by the amount of different groups and types of muslims out there when you became a little bit more religious were you confused i think for me when i started practicing um when when i say practicing i mean when i started praying really and you know uh, attentively, I guess is the word, accepting Islam. Actually, and, and that's quite an important distinction as well. And I know we keep on saying practicing, but by that I would say uh, just praying five times a day and, and, and not doing any of the haram stuff, any of the bad mm. stuff. Yeah, sorry, go yeah. No, no, for me, I think when I first started at that point, um, I wasn't really exposed, I guess is the word, to all of the groups. It was literally just a case of let me focus on my prayers and try and get to the masjid to do those prayers. That's really where I started. And then I started getting into the community <clears throat> by going to the masjid and, you know, making new friends, etc. Um, that's really when I had more exposure to these other groups. But for me personally, I wasn't really interested in the group side of things. Um, I always feel like the groups and the different factions can get confusing you, you know if you, islam makes it easy for us if we stick to the core then it, we're going to make our life easier rather than trying to get confused and bogged down with you know this group does this and that group does that why is there a difference and i think if we stick to the core that's where we're in the safe zone you know the you know i think there's a hadith that basically says the halal and the haram are clear and then in between there's the gray area so i think if you keep yourself in in the clear halal then you're okay but as soon as you start wandering into the gray area that's when you know you go into dangerous territory as it were 
I think it's easy for us possibly because obviously we were born into a Muslim family so we had even though we may not have been practicing we had maybe we knew which local mosque that our family go to um, so we sort of follow the way they pray and you know those sort of teachings that we've had you know even the little that we did from our family and um, with the whole group side of things yeah it wasn't really so much an issue for me I just sort of prayed the way my family taught me to pray or that my local imam taught me to pray um, I, there were sort of two distinct moments for me where Islam was like this huge thing where I was like wow um, first was when I found out that Islam can be taught in English because my previous experience was it was all in either Bengali or Urdu <laughs> and I was like oh, and Bengali I could barely speak it very well uh, Urdu I didn't understand a word um, so I, so in terms of my masjid experience in madrasa I never understood anything that was going on I was reading Quran didn't understand the Arabic didn't understand the Urdu the imam was speaking they didn't speak English I didn't know what was going on so when I first got introduced to Islam I went to I think it was like a talk or something it was all in English I was like wow okay I actually understand <laughs> what Islam is about I, you know th that was a big deal for me and I think the first time I sort of got exposed to groups was when I was when it was Asr time and I was like oh you know there was a brother at the masjid I go look let's pray and he's like I've already prayed I was like hey Asr just started <laughs> and I was Hanafi obviously it's for Hanafi opinion but Asr for Shafi had already started an hour before and he's like brother I've already prayed I was like oh have you already prayed and I didn't quite get it <laughs> Yeah, and he started saying, oh, it's Quran and Sunnah and this and this. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, what am I doing then? If you're Quran and Sunnah, what, 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 am, I, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but yeah, at that moment, I remember being really, like, really confused. And I was like, okay, you do what you need to do. I'll do what I need to do in that case. I, 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 I think one thing that became apparent was um j j just how just how confusing some people made it honestly mm. so I, th I i think with the four schools of thought that that's absolutely fine and i mean some people may want to follow you know modern day scholars fine whatever as long as it's a valid opinion mm. um of praying yeah. but then when it comes to certain jamaats and organizations that, that that's where i start getting a bit of a headache now i just I don't know. I, th I think I'm way too old for any of that. I think what, what was one memory that I have from when I was at university was a, oh gosh, it was, I don't know what happens at university. You know, these Islamic societies, gosh, they're just, you know, being completely blunt, it was about five, six different local organizations in Nottingham trying to take control of the Islamic society from what I remember. Yeah. So it, it it's just, it's crazy it's crazy um but all righty um i think we'll have to end it on that note um we've got about a minute left but in summary actually we've had a very interesting conversation we i'm going to bring it back to your um your spectrum again so we started off from the middle we went to the left all the way we went we start from zero we went minus 100 and then we've gone plus about well let's say from zero to around 70 i'd say i don't think i'd put any religious person beyond 70. um i'd be a static files at 70. <laughs> so again, yeah yeah, so yeah i'd, so I'd so be a static files at 70. <laughs> yeah yeah i know i know so i mean all, all of us lowly humans i'd put you know between zero and 70. um so 
yeah, and you know, we've we've, we've finished talking about um, some of our experiences and just that point where we became a little bit more religious and what that was like, um, and just how confusing it can be at times um, with so many different opinions and uh, so many different groups and jamaats out there. But we should absolutely cover that in a future session, inshallah. Right, you've been listening to the Verbal Outpost. Thank you for listening hopefully you've listened to all of it um catch us again on the next show inshallah the verbal outpost signing off hamza Rahil, shafiq assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu